Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Uh, you can probably hear it in my voice. We're a little dejected this evening, but uh, we're going we're gonna to talk it out. I'm here with uh, Mike Mayer and Michelle Ayanu of Metsmerize. Michelle, did I just say your last name wrong? No, you said it correctly. I'm oh, thank proud. goodness. I swear, my heart dropped. I, I know we just <laughs> went over it, too, and I said, oh, I got it wrong again. But All right, we're good. But uh, two of my, my fellow Metsmerized uh, representatives, and, uh, yeah, we're going to go over, I guess, the whole saga that unfolded over the past few days, and uh, looks like it came to a point or came to a head on Thursday evening with John Heyman's report that the uh, potential sale of the New York Mets to billionaire hedge fund manager Steve Cohen is uh, is all but dead. In, in Heyman's words, completely kaput. Uh, Mike, Michelle, where where are our heads at right now? I don't want to be that person to say, I told you so, because <laughs> I wanted this deal to happen, just like everyone who's been following the Mets for years. But it was too good to be true from the get-go. Like, the whole terms of the deal just didn't make sense in my head. Like, how are you selling the team? How are you buying a team for billions of dollars, but you don't have full control for five years? Um, so I don't want to say that I wasn't surprised when this happened, but I really wasn't surprised when it happened. I guess I kind of agree that... uh it just it felt too good, and that's it. I think that's kind of why it's so disappointing. But um, I want to say that the events leading up to it are really is what's is what's sticking sticking us now. Yeah. Uh, Mike, yeah, you had a really really great article from Etsmerized on Thursday, I guess regarding uh, Jeff Wilpon's involvement in, in this deal unfolding. Uh, would you like to expand on that a bit? Because I think it drives home a really really strong point. Yeah, I just think, I mean, as Michelle touched on, this was, like she said, it was too good to be true from the start. But um, once you got thinking that it could happen and that there was a possibility of this happening, um, you would like to think that Jeff Wilpon wasn't the reason that it didn't happen. Um, the five-year plan was already a good year plan for the Wilpon. Like Michelle said, it's just unusual for that to even happen. Why would Cohen pay $2.6 billion to not have immediate control of the team that he's buying? So for him to even agree to the five-year plan at the start was pretty wild. And then for Jeff Wilpon to have other um, – to throw in other things to feed his ego in there, like um, essentially dub doubling his salary almost um, – up to four million, I believe, is what Evan Roberts reported, um, and also to have some sort of role in baseball operations even after the five years. Um, what? Why would any sane person, specifically Cohen, who is a minority owner in the Mets already, so he knows the meddling of Jeff Wilpon? Why would he want to buy a team that he knows Jeff Wilpon is still going to be around? Um, like someone said. Or, uh, one of the articles said earlier, he's the de facto GM and owner of the Mets. Jeff Wolpon is, regardless of whatever title he has now. And, and that's kind of been the case for so long, uh, where it, it's it's almost been purported that he's the one who's kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes. 
And, you know, to allow such a huge, huge, uh, just monumental moment in the organization's history, uh, crumble just because he insisted on maintaining control is just, it, it, it makes the situation that much harder to digest. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what's, what's next? I know Heyman touched on a possible auction type sale. That seems a little wild to me. Wouldn't they have buyers kind of privately doing that? I guess is if he's using the, the term auction in a broader sense, it, it just, it feels like, uh, this is just taken, gone so far off the rails that it's, it, it's almost unbelievable. Well, I, I think the Mets are kind of at a point now where they were deep enough into this where they were releasing press releases on the potential sale of the team and then to see this blow up in their face and 90% of the pushback, unless you're Martino shilling for the Mets, um, is on the Wilpon. So, they have so much egg on their face right now. How how do they expect to sell tickets? Um, I I think there has to be. They can't stop here, and they they started the sale. They started the sale anyway because they need the money. A, they're losing money on the team, and B, their Fred Wilpon is starting to uh, plan his estate, and they don't want to liquidate any of their real estate. So this is their option. So, which makes it even wilder because, I mean, he's planning for Jeff Wilpon's financial future and Jeff is throwing that away over his ego, essentially. Now, yeah. Michelle, I was going to ask Michelle from, uh, I guess, your quote unquote day job is in marketing. From yeah. a marketing standpoint, just how bad is this for the Mets as a, as an, as a, you know, as a company? So, you know, the saying that there's no such thing as bad marketing. Um, I mean, this is great marketing because the Mets name is everywhere, but it's horrible marketing because of the reason that the Mets name is everywhere. So I don't even know where to begin answering that question. Like if I was working PR or marketing for the Mets right now, I feel so sorry for those social media people. I feel sorry for those ticket reps. I've had fans forward me their emails that they sent to their ticket reps long, long novels about all the reasons why they're not renewing their tickets or they want a refund for their tickets or they're not going to renew after this season if they've already committed. And it's all the reasons we know. And it's all the reasons that these ticket reps know. And it's just a horrific situation. And it's what Mike said. It's kind of like twofold right now. Like the Mets need to make money. The Wilpons know the Mets need to make money. But Jeff doesn't want to give up his position of power. And I just don't understand what they're thinking in the sense that they want to sell this team for so much money. But then they're not going to let the person who bought the team control the team. Like, where are they going to find someone who will agree to that wholeheartedly? Oh, I think that's probably out the window now, as is a two and a half billion dollar offer. I doubt they get, you know, they might come close to it, but uh, I think this was the sweetheart deal. I think that Cohen, you know, wanted to own the New York Mets. He's been a lifelong fan of the New York Mets. He's a local kid, like a local guy. He, this was his dream was to own the New York Mets and the Wilpons just shot themselves in the foot in in the most pronounced way you could imagine. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's, 
it, it's absolutely bewildering where things have gone from where they were, you know, a month ago. Just incredible depths. <laughs> it's almost unfathomable. It's also the compilation of everything that has happened to the Mets in the past month. Like, with forcing Carlos Beltran out, with finding out that Cespedes fell into a hole after running away from a wild boar. It's just one thing after another. And the timing is just impeccable. Oh, we could go back much further than a oh, month. Oh, I know. Though. I mean, I'm this has been, been, oh. I'm paying too many people with reliving the event. Just a lifetime, a lifetime of just one after another. It's just been, um, it's been wild. I don't know if, I don't know if you guys saw it, but, um, a friend of the pod, 90% Mets is his Twitter handle. He put together a, uh, a Met bracket, a Met madness bracket, and it's 32, uh, just, I guess, totally Mets moments in their history. Everybody should go check it out. But, um, really, I mean, this ranks up there with the absolutely most mind boggling moments in this franchise's history and how they recover of it, how they recover from it, I should say, is going to say a lot. I mean, they I think their legacy is pretty much shot the Will Ponds, but, um, transferring control, which seems, it, I don't want to call it inevitable, but you have to imagine that something's going to happen soon because they can't, there's no coming back from it, from this, mm-hmm. from a fan's perspective. Looking at, I mean, the owners were already in a really tough spot as far as fan perception. There's no coming back from this one, but, um, they've really got to do something. And, you know, spring training starts in a few days, uh, before we know it actual baseball is going to start and that's going to shift attention. And that's always a great thing, especially if the team's winning, which we'll, we'll get to the actual on-field Mets in a little bit, <laughs> but you have to wonder um, what's, what's next for this franchise. Are you guys buying into the, the auction thing? Do you think this is maybe being in part forced by MLB? Like, all right, you guys, it's time to go. Of course, they'll probably never come out publicly and say that, but uh Throwing the auction thing out there, I, I hate to harp back on it, but it just feels so out of the blue. Um, you just have to wonder what's next, I guess. I think, I think they're just once the Wilpons put this out there that they were at the point of no return. So, I, I don't think Major League Baseball. I, I think they've shown they're pretty spineless in this whole situation. I, I don't think they're going to force the Mets to do anything. I just think. The Wilpons have essentially forced themselves to do every, to do this. Um, so, I mean, the auction style that, I mean, you're basically talking about bidding, which is what Cohen did when he tried to buy the Dodgers. He tried to buy the Dodgers, but he got outbid. So, I mean, it's that type of process. And like you said, I mean, we, we knew, we know what Cohen was going to buy it for now. And that was with some ridiculous stipulations. So you have to imagine that. The Wilp ones are going to end up losing out on some money on this. So, yeah, I I still think now, like, trying to calm down a little bit and think about the whole situation, I, I just don't see how we're in July of 2020 and there's not at least someone in place to buy the Mets. It it just it wouldn't make any sense to me that there's just no there's just no way the Wilpons come back from this, like you said, Tim. Yeah, but I guess who, who's next on that line? Do I mean, all of us, I think all of us want Jerry Seinfeld to buy the team, but that's <laughs> never going to happen. Um, yeah, he's got, you know, let's, let's assume he's got the money to do so. But, you know, 
you have to wonder who's going to come out of the woodwork, who's going to show interest. Um, you know, this could turn into a good thing in the long run for the organization. Uh, you know, the Wilpon and the Katz families will be happy. Hopefully Jeff Wilpon will be out of the picture and locked in the closet as these negotiations are happening. So he can't do anything stupid. Um, you just have to imagine that, like, like you said, something, the wheels have to be turning here, but as the wheels are turning, um, like I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, spring training, pitchers and catchers are reporting in a couple of days. Uh, the excitement that comes along with that has been a little, I guess, overshadowed by everything else that's been going on. But uh, on Thursday, we got a really cool video from Ioannis Cespedes. It was almost like his own personal hype video, wearing a T-shirt made by my man Dan from Athlete Logos. What's up, Dan? Did the logo for Simply Amazing. Had to drop a plug for him. But I... Uh, Guys, are, are we buying into Cespedes coming out and performing this year? That could be a huge plus for this roster. To go back to marketing, this is great marketing. Yeah. Um, it's the best marketing you want to have, like a player showing, tweeting out a video of himself just the way Cespedes did, starting off with hate talk and proving it wrong sort of way. Um, I'm very hesitant when it comes to this team. So I'm not 1,000% fully into it yet. Do I want Cespedes to be out there playing and contributing? Of course I do. But will I fully believe it until I see it? No. And there's just been so many setbacks when it comes to him that keeps me weary. You have to think he's going to be pretty well motivated to play well. He's got a big contract. Well, this is his contract year coming up he's uh he's playing for not solely incentives but pretty much all incentives this year if you look at his original salary which has been whittled down to i think six million uh in base salary with a i guess an additional 13 million available in incentives which it might be tough for him to reach some higher uh scales of that but especially if he's a bench player but if he's proven to be healthy and he could be a uh a regular guy in here. I mean, Mike, I guess you shared on Twitter on Thursday, um, the, I guess a little bit of a deeper breakdown of his, um, uh, of Cespedes' incentives. I think there's some certain levels or plateaus that might be out of the question. You don't happen to, I'm trying to pull it up while I'm talking to you, but I can't find it. No. Yeah. Um, I have it right. I have it right here. Great. So, so, I mean, essentially like, like you said, his base is 6 million now down. 23.5. So, yeah, that's a pretty significant uh, loss of money there. <laughs> but so if he starts the season on the with the Mets, it goes up to 11. Um, and then if he even if he in season gets on the roster, um, and it's it's a non-related injury, or if he goes on the injured list with a non-related injury. Um, to the four accident, he still gets 11 million and then he gets 250k for 200, 250, 275 plate appearances and then 500k each for 300, 350, 375, 40. And then as it keeps going up, um, and then there's some for like MVP and stuff, but I, I don't think we have to worry about those type of things. <laughs> so, I mean, so if, if you're talking about him playing, let's say a hundred games, and so he's getting like 400 plate appearances. So that he's going to end up hitting 
a decent amount of these and he's going to look at making like 15 million just just playing around like a 90 to 100 games which is which is what I think they would do. I know some people have thrown out like a number of like 140. I just I just don't see even if even if they think he's 100% um them throwing him out there not just because of that but they have other options like JD Davis who can play left. McNeil, they still they still have Dom Smith on the roster. Um, I just think they have a lot of options, and they're not going to want to push him too much, specifically in the start of the season. You're going to kind of want to use those other options and work him in. I mean, it, it's been a long time since he's played in a Major League Baseball game, so I, I don't think they want to rush him, nor do I think they should. That's exactly it. They shouldn't rush him. Um, he has to ease his way back in because it's been so long and then it's a matter of can he stay healthy I mean we've seen Cespedes pull a hamstring pull this pull that and the fact that he hasn't played baseball in so long and is going to make his return that has to be a worry oh without a doubt and I think that um, coming into this with caution from every aspect, the fans can't be expecting too much. I, I think the training staff and the coaches kind of have to stay on top of him, make sure he's not being overworked. I, I think a, a nice target area would be that 350, 400 plate appearances where he'll get starts, he'll get pinch hitting appearances, maybe he'll come into a game, uh, whatever you know, whatever the case may be. Um, he certainly has to be eased back in. Uh, you have to be very, very cognizant. Uh, if he's, you know, hampered by an injury, because again, he's got so much to play for this season, um, as far as his future and earning what he was, of course, wanting or hoping to earn this year, um, reaching those, those pay scales, uh, through incentives. He's got so much to play for. If he is hurting, he's probably not going to speak up and say anything. Um, okay. it's got to be obvious to the coaching staff. So they've, they've really got to, but like you said, no, we all have to kind of be cautious as far as, um, what we should expect, uh, how much he should be played, all, all, all the things that you just mentioned. He was really just spot on. Um, I guess if we're going to talk about assessment, excuse me, we should probably talk about Jed Lowry. Uh, still mysteriously. Who that, Tim? <laughs> who? <laughs> you know, you have to wonder. He seemed like an ideal trade candidate if they could package him with somebody. But personally, I don't want to see them that send off a a pre-arbitration guy just to move Jeb Lowry. I'd rather hopefully get all they can out of Jeb Lowry as a really expensive bench player. Are, are either of you expecting much out of him? No, I, I'm not expecting. Uh, <laughs> I asked you who he was, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I've been on the boat for a couple of weeks now. They signed Brock Holt, so that that kind of tells you what I think of uh, Jeb Lowry. It just it's just so bizarre. Um, he clearly wasn't healthy last year when they activated him. Um, they essentially activated him like, well, well, he's he's going to pinch hit to get back in game shape, and we'll see what happens. Week later, yeah, he's still pinch hitting. Week of the season left, yeah, he's still pinch hitting. We're never going to play him in the field. Like, oh, okay, so this guy is healthy, but you're not playing him in the field, and it just looks like you activated him to save face. And then... <laughs> I really, I feel, I feel like there's a weekend at Birdie's joke in here somewhere. They just kind of brought him out to, <laughs> oh look, he's here. Look, everybody, he's here. All right, go sit down, Jed. Well, yeah, that's the thing, and and then 
in the offseason, the first time Brody talks about him, he's like, well, yeah, he might be ready for spring training. We we don't know. We'll see what's going on. Like, what do you what do you mean he might be ready for spring training? You just had him on the active roster for the last three weeks of the season. It's just, and it made it sound like they still had couldn't concisely tell you exactly what his issues were. Mm-hmm. Like, does he have valley fever? I want to know. <laughs> oh, poor Ike Davis. Go ahead, Michelle. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's fine. Um, I just, I mean, I really want Chad Lowry to come out here, have time at the plate, have time on the field, and prove all of us wrong. And by all of us, I don't just mean the fans. I mean the best organization, too. Like, I want him to prove all of us wrong. But the whole situation last season was handled so poorly, and it was just entirely unreal how it unfolded. And unreal shouldn't even be a word we use anymore when we talk about the Mets because I feel like I say it in every sentence I talk about situations that they handle. Um, but I mean, I feel bad for him. Like, how do you think he feels about all of this? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he feels $20 million richer at the when it's all said and done. But, um, you know, it's got to eat at him. He's being handed money to do a job to perform a service and he's not really been able to do that. Um, you yeah, have to wonder. Backlash and that, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was say all the like backlash he's getting though in the media. I'm like, it's not all his fault. No, I feel like that we're not being told the whole story here, and I feel like um, the less the Mets talk about it, or the less, I guess, the less distinction they give to actually what's going on, it's kind of making him look worse. And as just as a as a professional athlete as a person as a competitor just anybody any of us can relate to this like you want to be out there helping you you don't want to be on the sidelines watching and um it feels like he really he really can't talk about it and whether that's a an order from the team or just it, it is what it is but boy the, the whole mysterious side of it um it just gives it such a weird feeling and coming from the Mets where we're kind of used to this like you were saying it just makes it feel all that much weirder and you have to wonder whether Jed Lowry the player can come back from something like this where oh you missed all this time no one really knows what's going on um it's it's very just very odd <laughs> oh I, i'm sure Jeff Wolfon knows exactly what the medicals are and he'll uh He'll make sure that Lowry plays through. <laughs> Get back out there, Jed. <laughs> oh, it's but, just, it's, but, you know. oh, go ahead. To, kind of, to keep on what we were talking about with like Cespedes, um, we mentioned him playing like a hundred games, um, or somewhere in that range. I think if he does that, it also allows the Mets to kind of hold back, um, to put Robinson Cano on a pitch count, which I think you have to do considering you have him for three more seasons at 20 mils. So I think you kind of have to put him on a pitch count. And we saw last year as he's aging, he's going to get injured more muscle injury, stuff like that. So if you have Cespedes, then you can play Cespedes and left Davis at third McNeil at second more. Not only does that put Cano on a pitch count, but that also might be the better trio. You, the Mets might be better off with Cano um, not playing all the time because those players are simply better. I mean, lo- load management is a great thing 
especially in a 162-game season. And it almost looks like Brody's plan to make this roster just kind of depth-laden and talent everywhere. It, it looks like he's almost there. Um, if everything falls the right way as far as everyone you know, being healthy, staying healthy, um, the pitching staff's going to be a, a huge fulcrum point. But, you know, the, the sky is the limit here. I know that there's been a couple of projections uh, having the Mets finish first in the NL East. There's been a projection of the Mets finishing third in the NL East. It, it's really, it's a toss-up right now. There's a lot of talent up and down. I don't think the Marlins are going to be the pushover that they were. Um, it, it, again, if everyone's here and everyone's producing and they find a way to to, to really – I guess, utilize all these assets. <laughs> it could be a very, very exciting summer leading into a really exciting fall, but um, there's going to be a lot of work to get there. And uh, between Louis Rojas at the helm and just it, this whole roster kind of coming into their own. And like we were talking about with Cespedes and Lowry, I mean, they're question marks at this point, but between him, Davis, Dom Smith, I mean, there's talent up and down the roster. and um, Boy, there's just so much potential. It's very exciting. Uh, Michelle, do you have a, I guess, a breakout candidate for this season? Because there, like I was saying, there's a, a lot of talent here. Um, there's certainly a lot of candidates that could continue there. I guess breakouts. Um, you can look at Ahmed Rosario, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, who's your, I guess, your one rising star at the moment? Oh my gosh, my one rising star. Put me on the spot, Tim. Um, I've been, Sorry. <laughs> um, I literally have been obsessed with JD Davis since last season. I think he showed us what he's made of and I think he's just gonna bank on that this season and continue with it. And especially him knowing that his name was involved in trade rumors and he's still here, um, is going to motivate him. So I think he's gonna be my one to watch. I like it. Um, hey, do you think Tim, he's yes, Tim, please. Can, can we add uh, Mets Daddy to the call real quick? Of course. <laughs> I, Always. I want, I want him to hear the the JD Davis take. I I want his thoughts right now. Okay, hold on one second. We could do this. No, Tim, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Oh, I was actually about to get him in on the call. <laughs> no, I because of because of her JD Davis take. Oh. oh. Uh, well, you know, that, that BABIP is just completely, uh, you know, it's unsustainable. <laughs> and Mets Daddy, if you're listening, I'm just messing with you. We all know that you're J.D. Davis take. We all love you. I'm just messing with you. Oh, if J.D. Davis hits 40 home runs, hitting 320 with a 383 on base, uh, I think Mets Daddy's going to be a happy camper. <laughs> uh, Mike, do you, do you have a breakout from the positional side? I mean, I'm still – Michael Conforto had a good year last year. Yeah, I was waiting for Conforto. It was a very, like, solid year. I'm I'm waiting for that year um, that he's that all-star, he's that MVP-type candidate. Um, I still think it's possible. He's just I, – I don't know. And I don't want to get into, like, I'm not hating on Michael Conforto because this is what this always turns into, that Conforto's either going to be a star or he's a dud for 
whatever reason, that's always the conversation on Mets Twitter. Uh, right, last year's a solid three four win player. Um, I I think this is the year that he's a five six win player. Um, I mean the Met, the Mets lineup even without Cespedes is just deep. Um, the Mets offense was good last year, and then you're talking about potentially adding someone like Cespedes. I mean, it's it's crazy to think about having someone like you could have like Wilson Ramos batting like seventh in this lineup, or second half Ahmed Rosario batting eighth in this lineup. Um, it's just incredibly deep, like you were talking about. Um, and this is all assuming health, but that's also you also have some depth there, like we were talking about too. Where I mean, you could have J.D. Davis and Dom Smith and potentially Jed Lowry all on the bench on the same bench a lot of days with Cespedes, Cano, and McNeil playing. And then some days you're going to have um, Cespedes and Dom Smith on the bench. So not only are they going to have a good starting lineup, they're going to likely have a couple of really good pinch hitting options late in the games too. I don't even want to call it the Michael Conforto breakout year though. I want to call it the Michael Conforto rightfully proved everyone wrong. Yes, I like, I like that better than the breakout year. Yeah, because like, we've seen what Conforto can do, and that's what pains me the most when I see people like hate-talk him on Twitter or just not valuing him. Like, yeah, you know what? The guy has slumps. Like, he's a human being. But he's showed us what he can do. And like you said, last season he was there and consistent. And I just want him to have that season that shuts everyone up. I think that's well within reach. He, he's got yeah. all the tools. Um, after he came back from the concussion last year, I mean, he was knocked out cold from the collision with Cano. Um, it took him about, I, I would say, two weeks. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But he came back and he finished out the season hitting like 272 with a, a close to a 900 OPS. I mean, uh, the, the tools are clearly all there. Uh, he's still, you know, only a few seasons into his major league career. He's probably just hitting his stride as a real comfortable major leaguer at this point. Um, I, I'm expecting very big things. I think Brandon Nimmo is going to go back to being the guy he was uh, in 20, uh, 2018 because last season, pretty much a wash. I mean, he came back and performed extremely well uh, after dealing with uh, all those neck injuries through the year. But um, you, you have to imagine, you know, him getting on base, Rosario, continuing to come into his own Conforto, hopefully developing into that, that front line. Um, I, I want to peg him at a, at a five win. I think I don't want to call that a ceiling, but I think five wins would be perfect on his trajectory right now. Um, I, I don't want him to price himself out of the Mets plans moving forward. I, I think he's a, a definite candidate to be locked up long-term. I think Syndergaard, who we'll get into in a second, I think uh, both of these guys fit into the Mets plans long-term. Uh, we need strong seasons from him. As a, I, I said, we. I've been trying not to say we since I was a kid talking about the Mets because it's not. I don't play for the Mets. I'm not on the Mets, and I just let it slip. So I slap myself on the wrist. Um, but you have to think that you know, with the the progress that we saw out of this group and the potential that's still there, and the guys that we just talked about, the guys like Davis and, and Smith as well. I, I'm really excited to see Dom Smith uh, kind of build off of the the success that he found last season because it, he, it took him so long to find that success at this level. And uh, it, it just, the energy he brings, 
you guys both know I'm a big Tom Smith fan, but I really hope he fits into the Mets' plans this year, even as just a super sub on the bench. I think that uh, that left-handed bat is really going to play well in some big spots. Uh, I'd like to see him kind of carve out a niche here, but as we were just saying, there's going to be a lot of competition for playing time, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's going to bring the best out of everybody. Um, I'm kind of hoping that mindset shifts over to the pitching staff because we've seen, I guess I mentioned it on the pod a couple of weeks ago, we've seen pitching staffs in Queens kind of compete with each other, and the results have been fit terrific. Uh, th- there was a time that you had the Harveys and, and the Wheelers and, and the DeGroms and the Syndergaards kind of, you know, wh- who could outdo each other. And I think this staff kind of has that same potential. Um you know, DeGrom, I don't want to write him in as a shoe-in, but let's leave him out of this conversation. Uh, between Syndergaard, Mats, Porcello, excuse me, and uh, uh, who am I missing right now? Walker. Uh, thank you. Walker's on the, on the fringes, I guess. Stroman. Stroman, thank you. How could I forget about Marcus Stroman? Thank you, Mike. Um, you know, someone's kind of got to take that second spot, run with it, and I think everyone else will kind of fall into place. Do you guys view Syndergaard or Stroman as our as as the Mets' true number two? Um, want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll yield to the lady. <laughs> um, I want to say Syndergaard solely because he's been on this team longer. And I don't know if that's a good, good reason or not, but I do want to say him. Stroman is still fairly new. I mean, he's showing his hype and his love and his energy, and it's great, and it's what they need. But I don't think he's number two just yet. And, like, we know what Syndergaard can give us. He's our four, and he's, in my eyes, number two right now. Are you concerned at all with his consistency as opposed to Stroman, who kind of gives you the same thing every time out? And, and, and I'll, I'll certainly give Syndergaard the edge in the ceiling because his his just raw talent as a pitcher, mm-hmm. it, it's probably higher than Stroman's. But as far as kind of fitting into the niche of being that that consistent guy that, you, that this team can mm-hmm. rely on, I – Syndergaard's been so up and down that I, I, I'm I'm not as confident as I was in him, let's say, going into last year. Because, again, those highs are great, but he just seems to lose it. And I hope that the slider comes back this season and his, uh, his, his secondary pitches can be utilized in a stronger way because he should be the number two. And it's kind of his spot to lose. Yeah. But, uh, man, I, I really love what Stroman brings. And um, it, it, it's I think it's going to be uh, – it's going to be a very – very tight, I guess, top three. I think these top three could be, could rival those of the Scherzers and the Corbins uh, over in Washington. I mean, I think it could really be a, a great thing. And I, I guess it might be a stretch to put Stroman in that number two category, but I really think that he could he could kind of stay neck and neck and, and produce number two, I guess, number two starter numbers out of the three hole. That came out a little redundant. But, uh, Mike? Are you seeing perfectly when you said it's Syndergaard's spot to lose? Like I think that he's going into the season in the number two spot, and it's him his to lose. Now you can go, Mike. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, even in a, uh, what you would call a down year for Syndergaard last year, he's, he's still, he's a four and a half win pitcher and Stroman was having a good year and he, he wasn't at that number. So I think, I just think, um, Syndergaard's the clear number two to me. And that's even without him hitting his potential. I mean, like you were talking about Syndergaard, maybe with a better um, pitch selection, and m- maybe maybe Nito catches him more this year. Um, um, like we've, I, Matthew Brown seems looked at a lot. It's been talked about a lot. Is that um, Syndergaard wasn't throwing well? Same issue with Diaz too. Um, Syndergaard wasn't throwing down in the zone a lot because. Ramos doesn't frame well down there. So I, I, I think that's part of it with Syndergaard um, and Diaz. Um, so I think I think you likely see him with Nito more often, and that's probably something that the Mets should just come out and talk about instead of going back and forth. Um, last year, like the last month of the season was just a circus of, well, who's catching who this day and what's going on with this? And I just think, Assuming that the Mets are going to have Nito catch in the guard a lot, I think they should just come out and say that's one that's what's going to happen. So that that's not a constant question for Syndergaard or Ramos. Let Ramos focus on catching the other four guys. It's it really shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, so I, I think Syndergaard's still pretty clearly the number two guy. Yeah, I, I think you know that's probably. The obvious answer here, I would like to see Strowman kind of nip at his heels. I think he has the the, the potential to, to kind of keep on pushing Syndergaard. And, um, you know, it, it maybe it is a stretch to say that Strowman will take his job. But, uh, again, it's just kind of moving deck chairs on the Titanic at this point. You have the talent in that rotation to really do some damage. And all the way down to Michael Walker. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of excited for this group. Uh, Jerus Familia came out and said that, this Mets bullpen, he feels it's the best in baseball. I guess we've all kind of had that conversation uh, over the past few weeks since they signed Dellen Patances. Um, again, you have to just, you have to give this team, uh, I guess this front office a little bit of credit for, for putting together, uh, just a, a deep pool of talent, especially in this bullpen. I mean, they have options. They have uh, very high ceilings. Um, you look at the advanced metrics on some of these guys, Diaz, Familia, uh, Batances when he's healthy. I mean, Lugo, <laughs> that curveball is incredible. Even yeah. Dante Gazelsman, who, who's, uh, I think his curve spin rate is, uh, is something in the 90th percentile. It's, it's still really impressive. Um, there's just, there's so much to work with. with. Guys are going to kind of fall into their roles and I think there'll be a little bit of stability and I think that's going to be huge, uh, as far as, Keeping everybody kind of in, in, you know, in in the groove, I guess you could say. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and disagree with you a little bit because I, I don't think for the second straight offseason, I don't think that Ben Wagon has finished the offseason. I think there's still pieces they should add, and one of those pieces is in the bullpen. Oh, um, most definitely. I I think Colin McHugh is the type of guy that's a perfect fit right now. Um, Multiple innings. He's pitched. He's pitched well out of the bullpen for the Astros. It was a little. He wasn't as good last year, but the strikeout numbers were still really high last year. And 
I just think adding a guy like that to a bullpen where, I mean, kind of like we talk about a Andrew Miller role or for the Mets, it's the Seth Lugo role, but really kind of like the Carlos Torres role that he used to play with the Mets, um, where he can spot start if you need to. He can throw two or three innings, or if you get an extra innings, he can go as many as you need. And I, I just think having someone like McHugh, who's had major league success recently, um, would be a huge add to that. To that, because I, I don't think their um, bullpen depth isn't particularly deep at AAA, and I don't think you can plan on that because outside of Lugo, the last 10, 15 years, they've been really poor in getting relievers from the minor leagues. They, I mean, they even traded for was it eight of them in the with the Addison Reed deals and the Jay Bruce deal and the Curtis yeah. Anderson deal and essentially none of those guys have um, done anything at the major level. Granted, we'll kind of get to see if uh, how healthy Drew Smith is coming off Tommy John. So he, he could be that actually depth piece that we haven't really talked about at all because he's a guy that I think thought before Tommy John was going to be a seventh, eighth inning type pitcher. Oh, he certainly had the stuff to do so. Um, I'd like to see Peterson get a fair shake. Hopefully he, he impresses in camp. I think he could be a nice swing man. Um, yeah, there's going to be a, you know, a healthy competition. Another arm couldn't hurt, but, you know, uh, the same situation as I mentioned earlier. Guys pushing each other. Um, Mike, if you had to make a pick, who's your closer on opening day? I know it's still very early, but who's your odds-on favorite? Uh, I, I think I think Diaz is going to be the guy that pitches the most high-leverage spots. So, so I, by, I, by committee? I, yeah, I, I don't think. I don't think, or I guess I should say, I should hope they don't fall into this. Well, we have to pitch Diaz. He's going to be the closer. He's only going to pitch in the ninth inning. He's only going to pitch three outs. Like, there's no reason to say, especially right now in spring training, this certain guy is going to be the guy that pitches in every save situation the rest of the year. It, It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, we've learned this for the last five or six years. Like, pitch your best reliever in the most high leverage spot. It doesn't have to be the ninth inning. So I think I'm I'm fully on board after watching a lot of video of Diaz. Um, he looks more comfortable on the mound. He's changed some stuff back to what he was doing in Seattle with his hand release and um, oh, crap. And he said he was talking about it today. Um, with talking with Pedro Martinez, he's going to get back to throwing inside. Matthew Brownstein shown that he 5% less inside last year. So I, I'm i pretty confident that Diaz is going to bounce back. Uh, maybe he's not 2018 Diaz, but he's going to be a, a good reliever. And I, I just don't think you need to say he's the ninth inning guy. I think he's just going to be their best reliever. Like top top of the pecking order type of situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just yeah. I I can't I can't pick Batanzas until I see him pitch. That's fair. I, Michelle, Michelle, are you are you buying the uh, resurgence of Edwin Diaz? So I think it's a big deal that after last year's crummy season, he acknowledged it. I mean, it's very hard not to acknowledge it, but he acknowledged it, and instead of being deterred by it, like some players would. 
he reached out to one of the best in the game. He reached out to Pedro. And he's working with him, and he's trying to learn from him and improve from him. And I think that's a really big deal. And I do think the fact that he knows now what his issue was last season, obviously you're just going to improve on that. And it should, if everything works, um, work for him this season. I'm saying that the Mets have right now is that if Diaz and Camelia can both pitch to their potential, not, not even beyond that, just like to their potential, they have two solid closers. And that is also a big deal. Um, it's just the matter of getting them both to pitch to their potential because we've seen both of them pitch to their potential. Obviously, Diaz not on this team, but we know they have it in them. So if that does happen this season, which Diaz is working towards, and Familia also has been working towards this season, as we all know, he's lost 20 pounds. It's like the new Todd Frazier played in the Little League World Series. Um, <laughs> They're both working towards it, and they both want to be better this season. And if they can make that happen, the Mets are going to be in a really good place when it comes to closing out games. And that's a strong statement because I feel like I say it every single season, and then, you know, we see how the bullpen and closers happen. Um, But it should be okay. I think it's going to be a stronger point, uh, a stronger, I guess, facet of this team than it was last year. Um, I still think Lugo it, it is, he's still flying under the radar somehow. Um, everyone knows that he's just become the cream of major league pit, uh, relieving the, the, the major league relievers crop these, uh, the last couple of years. And he, he's really, he's just taken off and he still wants to become a starting pitcher. So he's just mm-hmm. pitching and pitching and pitching. He wants to be that guy. Um, you know, with Familia working his way back and looking healthy and looking like he's on his way to a resurgence with Diaz really looking like he's putting last year behind him. It almost feels like Lugo is just quietly ready to go out and have another gem of a season. Um, it's going to be really exciting. Like I think like Mike was saying, um, just to have so many options in so many different situations. And I've always kind of been a bit of a, a believer in bullpen, not necessarily set roles, but it's just a little bit of stability. So I feel like the, the, the repetition and the, I guess the almost the habit of it, I guess the eighth inning guy, the seventh inning guy, it almost gets, it felt like it puts pitchers in the right set of mind. They're comfortable. They know what time it is. They know what they have to get done. But all it takes is a little bit of a, a, a different, I guess, a angle at motivation, a different mindset. And we could have that forehead monster where it's, it's literally what Brody said. It's four closers. And it, to an extent, he really wasn't lying. On any other roster, Betances went healthy as a closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, r- I mean, right down the line. Um, if, the, you know, if managed the right way, I think this could really be a strength for this roster. And you can really look at any section of the team and say the same thing. If, you know, if there's talent in every spot. A-, a couple of more reinforcements couldn't hurt, but there's a lot a lot to be excited about. And that's a, uh, it's a fun thing to say in February, but let's see how we're feeling in June. To go back to Lugo, like we don't talk about him as much just because we don't have to worry about him, which is a great thing. Like we could spend all the time talking about him. He's the most reliable guy that comes out of the bullpen. 
but we don't have to worry about him ever knock on wood as I'm saying this. Um, and that's the reason we just don't spend this time talking about him because we know what he's going to give us. He's consistent. And when he comes out of the bullpen, Mets fans don't immediately cry or chug their beer. <laughs> just, he's such a weapon. <laughs> it's so nice to have. I think they, they do chug their beer still. <laughs> out of celebration, maybe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Many reasons. It's, it's not for but, the, but, uh, it's not, go ahead, Mike. But uh, yeah. I, I agree with Michelle essentially saying like that's why we don't even talk about Lugo because whenever we're talking about like the bullpen, we're talking about whether Diaz is bounce gonna bounce back, whether Familia is gonna bounce back, whether Batanzas is gonna be healthy, um, whether Brock is still gonna pitch like he did with the Mets or is he gonna pitch like he did with the Cubs last year? Um, is Gazelman finally gonna snap into being that reliever that we think that he could be? Um so Lugo's kinda caught in the shuffle not in a bad way just in a good way because he's just so incredibly consistent that like yeah well Lugo's just going to do what he does he's just going to be one of the best relievers in baseball and that's what's going to happen I guess case in point we haven't brought up Jeff McNeil's name once today so uh <laughs> well yeah it, exactly he's just, we, we just assume that he's going to hit 300 and probably going to have like 20 home runs and play like four positions and play them pretty well so now, yeah, it's just one of those things where like, yeah, we take it for granted. Well, I don't even know if we've even mentioned Alonzo very much either. We did we not. We didn't mention it at all. <laughs> not at all. Sorry, Pete. So I guess yeah, you know, to, Oh, please go ahead. To talk about Pete a little bit, I just went up to um yes. dovetail bats the other nice day. Segue. And, nice segue. Nice <laughs> segue. Um, and took a took a tour of the facility. It's pretty cool. I mean, I don't think people understand, like, so kind of the story without getting too much into it and taking away from the article I'm going to do. So essentially in 2015, um, Dovetail didn't have that many major league clients, um, and most of them were actually the Royals. And 75% of the runs that the Royals scored against the Mets in the World Series were with Dovetail bats, unfortunately as painful as that is to say. Um, and when Alex Gordon hit the walk-off home run in game one, he hit it with a dovetail. And Bryce Harper found out, called up dovetail, and was like, I want a dovetail bat. And that's kind of where it took off for them. Um, so that even, even that part has a Mets tie-in. But So it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, not a lot of people know, know like, I, I live in Maine, so... I'm like six hours from City Field, and I'm like in the boonies in Maine. And this place where they make Major League bats now for Bryce Harper's one of their big clients, um, Chris Bryant, obviously Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, um, Jacob DeGrom uses them, Zach Wheeler. Um, we're talking two hours north of Maine, um, and there's I got about 20 minutes away from the factory, and the internet on my phone cut out. The GPS, the GPS cutout was like, we don't know where you're going, but it's not civilization anymore. <laughs> so, nice. it, so you're so far up there and to think that they're making bats for some of the best players in baseball. Um, so yeah, I'll have the article coming out soon with some quotes from Pete and, uh, Pauline Keezy, who's the, the guy that runs Dovetail. We went through like the process of making Pete's bats 
Um, and then others like Jeff McNeil's, there's some of that in the video. And actually, as I was leaving, they were getting ready to ship out the Mets bats to spring training. And there was a Dylan Batanzas had bats, um, Edwin Diaz, Brad Brock, a bunch of, uh, Jason Shreve, uh, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, minor league guys were there too. Jordan Humphreys, Thomas Sabuki, um, but they have a huge Mets clientele, so it's it's kind of a cool tie-in. That's awesome, and and they're that's you know like you said, I guess they're local. That's all locally sourced wood, or they get yes, wood. Yes, it's 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 all Maine wood. Oh, that's awesome. That's so great. Very cool, and I have to imagine this is a, just a a very small company before kind of taking off, right? Oh yeah, I mean like they were when you first started doing it, they. They weren't really making bats. They were like doing like they were making cupboards for people's houses and stuff like that. And it it just kind of took off from some clients. Like with Jeff McNeil, it just happened that um, Lamar Johnson, who was a hitting coordinator in the minor leagues, had some of the dovetail bats, and Jeff was looking for something new and just happened to try one. And then he turned into liking the knobless bat, and it, it just worked out. And it was around the same time that he started hitting for power, so he didn't give it up, obviously. I'm looking forward to that, man. That sounds really cool. Michelle, you got anything coming out this week? I know I caught your uh, uh, a fan's guide to Fenway. Yes, you know, that because I want to call everyone up when the Mets aren't playing at Fenway in the foreseeable future, but the next time they do, you guys should all go. Um, I have a couple of things in the works. I actually reached out to Mike this morning and told him I had a great article idea and then never told him the idea. So that's, <laughs> <not amazing. laughs> um, but the, there's a, there's a couple of things in the works. So stay tuned. Excellent. And of course, I, I hope we will have you back on the show because this, this was fun. This was fun. I hope to be back soon. I'm glad. Yes. Out. Excellent. Yes, you got to keep it keep it in the family at MMO. Always. All right, all right. Well, guys, uh, it's been a rough week in in, in Metsville, but uh, as we mentioned, pitchers and catchers are reporting uh, at the end of the weekend, so things are about to get a lot better. Absolutely, I'm just I'm just excited to get the conversation on the field. I guess for a little while at least. Exactly. Oh, just put everything else on the back burner. Just give me. You know, give me frozen ropes into the gap. And Noah Syndergaard with no shirt on. That's what I mean. <laughs> All day, every day, right? <laughs> All over social media. I couldn't log on without seeing it. <laughs> and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I think we can all appreciate a little bit of topless Thor. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, everyone, uh, you know where to find us. Simply Amazing Pod. You find us anywhere you, look, you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoy the show... Of course, be so kind as to leave a, a five-star review, subscribe to the show. Um, you guys can follow Mike and Michelle on Twitter. Just do a quick search for uh, for any of us. Take a look at Metsmerized online. Check out everybody's articles. Uh, we'll have more coming out in the in the coming days with uh, <laughs> with the I guess ongoing saga of what's going on in the front office and in the ownerships box. But uh, hopefully, again, we'll be turning our attention to what's going on in the field shortly. We'll see you guys. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Let's go Mets, Mike, Michelle. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. All right. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.